that's just a catchy beat about people going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenicast. I'm Jeff. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. This is Raj. And on the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, our esteemed co-host Alan is on assignment, and we have a... we're we're actually while Alan is gone, we're going to be invited into a conversation that Casey and Bonnie have been having about apologist or evangelist. We'll get into what that means in a second. And for our segment, we are going to be sharing our top three guilty pleasure Christian songs that we still listen to, regardless of how offensive they may be, <laughs> depending upon our <laughs> lists. Uh, so uh, Bonnie Ra- or bon- Bonnie Raj, just used to associating those two names, Bonnie and Casey, tell us a little bit about this conversation and why you want to bring it to the table here, the Irena table, the, the proverbial podcast space. I'll shut up. Go ahead. Do you want to start, Casey? Sure. So uh, Bonnie and I had a great opportunity to drive down and spend some time with you, Jeff, and your family and to talk about the potential for doing an intersections group. And on our way down, Bonnie and I entered into this conversation about are we apologists or are we evangelists? And I think really what we were getting at is, are we trying to take the faith that we once had and sort of bring it back to life, right? Or or find ways to um, dress it up like a pig, you know? Or are we looking to do something new? Are we looking to evangelize and make make what we once had something new and different? Bonnie, you can take it from here. But really, I mean, this conversation was was hours long. And our whole discussion about who do we want to be as people of faith, but also um, as leaders of the church. I have a question for clarification. Sure. You're dressing things up like a pig? Yeah, that's like a, that's like an old phrase, right? Like you, you put makeup on a pig and it still doesn't oh, make l- it. Oh, lipstick on a pig. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't know. A dra- <laughs> drag is a pig. What? I don't drag know. Drag is a pig. That's good. Yeah. So, And we wanted to like expand the conversation because it's interesting, especially when we go through the process of deconstruction. What does it mean? And we all identify as Christian. What's our Christian orientation at this point? Is it to spread good news or is it to defend the tradition that we were given? So is this less about the faith itself and more about the posture in which you approach it? Like either as a defensive support, I'm going to make sure that everyone knows that this is right. And anyone who comes against me, I'm going to fight against it. And then the other side of Angelus being, I want to share and invite. I don't think so. So there are people, we won't name names out there who are writing lots of books and trying to, to reinvent their faith, but still keeping with the same ideas. And I think we're, we're saying like, you cannot put old wine in new wineskins, right? Isn't that, that's from scripture itself. But like the evangelism, I think is, is, is saying we are not trying to, to take our, the faith that we once had and make it look great and trying to find ways to justify it. We're trying to say in evangelism, we're trying to do something completely different. Um, okay. Let me, let me see if I understand, because this is really interesting. So apologists, maybe, you know, and some of the modern apologists may be putting lipstick on a pig, but they're essentially defending traditional Christian uh, orthodoxy. Um, I think about one, one, somebody who I really enjoy, but I think falls, maybe falls in this category is Nadia Bowles Weber. And another one is Richard Rohr. You know, they're, they're, repackaging in very innovative ways traditional Christianity and making it more accessible. So there's that one camp. And then the evangelist camp is, are you saying it as evangelists of a new brand of theology, like a new iteration of the Christian faith uh, that may not have gotten a lot of widespread popularity? Is that how you're delineating the two? 
I mean, like Jeff said, that we're expanding a conversation that we started a while back. So, so I, I don't think it's, it's not like we're here to say this is what we're saying or what we're not saying. It's more like, let's, let's talk about this idea of evangelism and apologetics as someone who identifies as Christian. How, how do you move in the world? Do you move in the world thinking, wow, there's all these theological constructs and, and traditions and so on that I would like to make new for a new era in a way that sort of carries on the old and defends the old? Or do you move around as a Christian with this idea that there is, there's good news and it's the good news that I most want to be true to? So and and I think that we should go back to like defining good news, right? I mean, again, this is like when when you hear people talk about the good news, right? Um I think a lot of times you're going to hear something that's wrapped up in Jesus and salvation. And I Bonnie, I want you to like um bring back your definition of good news from our last uh or the podcast that we did at the second round table. Well, um, borrowing from Brené Brown and her work, I understand the good news to be we are wired for survival, and that is by design. Like, it's part of who we are, and yet we are worthy of love. So can I just sort of frame this in um, an example? Maybe this that would be helpful? Because, Jeff, you're looking at us like lost as hell, I think. So, <laughs> so is is that the agreed upon gospel? Then we are wired for survival and worthy of love. I it's, think so. I, I yes, I, I like that definition. So here's how I'm trying to I'm trying to I think what I'm doing with my you know my thought process right now is I'm trying to um, I'm trying to get past I think the words of evangelism and apologetics right, which both have very tainted meanings. So I'm trying to, for me to try to kind of work through this, I'm trying to think of like the heart behind those things. And if we relate it to that definition of good news, to me, wired survival, we're wired for survival is exactly one of the things that's, that's wrong with us is <laughs> cause we apologize, like we protect, we, we say this is ours and then I'm going to build walls around it. And we do that with our Christian faith, right? Which is apologetics. I'm going to build these walls of quote unquote logic to defend what I know. And then yes. when I say worthy of love, sometimes that's something that we have to go out and search, right? So it's not that we're taking something to someone. It's that we're revealing something to someone that's already been there the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Then I am on board with where we're going. And I just want to, for the record to say, I'm going to Let's let's be evangelists and screw apologetics. <laughs> right. So um, this week uh, I had a junior high friend uh, call me out of nowhere and say, "I want to be baptized." Um, but this young this guy my age is not a church person, right? Doesn't go to church, isn't interested in really belonging to a community, and so um, I could feel myself going into that apologetic place. I could feel myself wanting to begin to articulate for him um, what baptism is or what it should be or what it could be. And in seminary, they teach you that baptism is something you do in beloved community, but this person doesn't have one. Right. And so I found myself saying, well, uh, I could baptize you in my hot tub and we can sit here and talk about what is the promise that you're willing to make uh, to God, you know, what are, what are the commitments that you're willing to make? What does this mean to you? And so we had this whole conversation about belovedness and, and how the, how this act is an act between you and God. I mean, it was a beautiful conversation, but none of it was rooted in, in, um, well, this is what we used to believe about baptism. And this is, we're going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, what felt to me like this real element of evangelism in a way that had nothing to do with my previous context. The only thing that sort of reminded me of that was how many of our youth pastors, when someone wanted to be baptized, did it right away. It was that just inspiration of the Holy Spirit that you just dive right in and say, yes, we're going to do this now. We're not going to wait. Um, that was sort of the only thing that felt 
familiar to me in that sense of like, there's an urgency from this young person, and I'm going to match it with the same sort, sort of intensity. But I didn't, but I didn't offer the same sort of language that that had been given before, or even try to go there. Right? We talked about repentance as the changing of your heart and mind. John, I read the story of John the Baptist and John the Baptist calling people to repent, but really that meaning just the, just like a changing of your mind, a changing of your heart, and this young man wanting to do that for himself to set clear his priorities. Does that is, does that make sense? Or is that um, that's not making sense to me. And where 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 I'm struggling is, um, and this is weird because I'm sort of an anti-apologist, but you know, you started Casey acknowledging that baptism is traditionally part of a community. And I, I still have a connection to baptism as it's a public communal event. Um, and what the experience that you're sharing sounds like is a personal recommitment, a personal, a, a way to mark a personal transition, spiritual transition, which I think is different. I don't know if I'm missing something. I don't know if you want to respond to that, Casey, but um, what it makes me think of is, I think, you know, just the word evangelism, evangelist, evangelical, you know, it has, like you were saying, Jeff, it has all these layers of meaning to them and uh, connotations. And so even for us to use the terms apologist and evangelist, we're clearly deeply rooted in Christianity. It's not that um, there's a, a complete departure from the tradition that we've been given. And I think that's why Casey even called the experience baptism, because it was still it was still a, a tradition, a rite of passage, marking a new moment in on, on the journey, on the spiritual journey um, for this person. But perhaps it doesn't have to be so institutionalized. Okay. So Casey, you're you're maybe saying that that experience expands the scope of what baptism can be. It's not necessarily eliminating the communal aspect, but it's embracing this other iteration of what baptism could be. Is that is that what you were saying? Right. And that I okay. think that that's and I think that that's the point of what we're trying to say about evangelism in general. We have been given a great gift in our tradition. And it doesn't work anymore. I mean, some of the some of the things that that we saw once as as the foundation of our testimony, the foundation of our ministry, they don't work anymore. And when we try to make them work, right? To for this young person who who is having this this changing of a heart and mind, who longs to connect with his creator. Um, for us to say the only way to baptism is to take a three-week class in a community that necess- that might not necessarily be yours, and to ask you to agree to things that maybe you're not ready to agree to, and then you can be baptized is awful. No matter no matter how like no matter what you put in those three weeks of classes or whatever, right? How hip you try to make baptism, um, or you know sharing the history of baptism or whatever you choose to do. I think what I'm saying is there is room for that, but there's also a need for us to begin to say some of this doesn't work anymore. Right. But still using the same terminology is how do we expand those things? I feel like this whole episode, maybe, maybe, I don't know if we should work on it, like put it in the show notes is create like an, an axiom list. Like here are all these words that we're using in this episode and here's how they've been strictly used in our past tradition and even in very strict binary traditions now within Christianity. And here are some expanded definitions of what we mean by those things, because I agree like that this whole like concept of what you're talking about, Casey has been like the bane of my existence, the thorn in my side, my whole ministry career in the sense that it's been, you know, well, this is how it's supposed to be. Okay, fine. But the heart of what we're trying to do here, it, it's it's it still gives us room to do this or to call it this. Uh, I can't tell you how many times in in my ministry I was told, "Well, that's not this. That's really this." And I was like, "Well, screw you! Like, who cares what you want to call it or what you want to do? If I want to, you know, it's still within the confines of what 
the the movement of these traditions are and it's 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 in that same vein right so if, if it's not like using baptism as an example if it's not you know we've turned it into well this is a confession to the community which basically is code for this is the first step before you sign your membership paper and pay us ties, right? Like it's this institutional come to this moment as opposed to an inviting into this new way, this new, tr- this new That's right. movement That's right. of life, this new philosophy, this new thing. And then it's, and I, I go back to what I said before is I do think that part of this is a revealing, like I don't think that any of these things are new in the sense that they're brand new. It's just giving us new language for something that has always been there the whole time. Yeah, I think, um, Casey, one of the things that was particularly powerful in rehearing what you shared is there is a conflation in many contexts between baptism and membership. It's like the two are inextricably linked. And I think that is that is pretty toxic. That's kind of poisonous. That, that, that really isn't the point of baptism. And I think, Jeff, your articulation was good. Well, one of the things that I've experienced when it comes to that is when people say unity of the church, usually what they're talking about is their church. (laughs) Conformity. That's right. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. So they're taking this language that's meant to be beautiful and inviting and evangelistic, and they're creating it into an apology and placing you in a certain category and institution, and then basically robbing you of all the things that are awesome about it. Right. Well, one of the things that Bonnie and I... um, uh, talked about this morning when we were having breakfast was um, Jesus Jesus being an evangelist, right? You heard it said uh, this way, but now I tell you the truth that it is this way, right? Whatever that thing is. We once believed this, but now we believe dot, dot, dot. Nice. Right? Yeah. So perhaps the most Christian thing to do is to take a tradition that you've inherited and make it new and find the good news in it, but but maybe not in a way that reforms or reframes the old, but actually unfolds into something entirely new, entirely different. So we, we'll need new language. I mean, we're even creating sort of a binary here by using like, are you an evangelist or are you an apologist? Right. Which is like an either or. And maybe we need to even think of those terms in, in terms of spectrum or Maybe there's a third way or a fourth way to move about the world as a Christian. Or that we can be on both sides of that fence at the same time, depending upon the issue or the thing that we're talking about. Because, I mean, you mentioned it in passing before, Bonnie, but where does all this play in deconstruction, right? So we we have all come from fundamentalist background into more of a progressive philosophy. But there are still very much fundamentalist progressives, right, who are very, like, apologetic about the things that they believe and the things that they hold on to. And the only movement, the only reason that they moved from maybe more of a fundamentalistic philosophy or, or version of Christianity is some form of logic that they determined is, well, you know, this doesn't make sense anymore or whatever, but it's, they're still within the same framework. They're still within the same way. Just, it's just different clothes. And, uh, I think that that's probably something that we've all had to fight against in certain ways, especially all of us still being involved very much in traditional, well, all you now, me, not so much, um, but being involved in more traditional church settings and w- ha- seeing it on a regular basis, it's kind of easy to kind of pull the ripcord. And this, is, and I don't mean this as a as a knock. Like it's a legitimate movement for some people to just be out of the church. So I don't mean it as like you're bailing, you're being lazy, or whatever like that. But I do mean in the sense that are we really deconstructing? We're maybe deconstructing our thoughts and our ideas, but are we deconstructing our our posture, our motivation? And I think that that's maybe not happening as much as some of us like to believe it is. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Jeff. I think, um, I think part of the journey of deconstruction is that you have to let it all go. And I think that's really terrifying for people. I know for me, it, it was terrifying to think about sort of losing everything, you know, losing, losing not just my own identity, but also losing my way of seeing the entire world and the way everything fits together within it. And I think too that that it's hard to uh, it's hard to see that perhaps what you grew up with, even people who were well-meaning in your life, maybe they handed you something that was really bad, 
And it's like hard to, it's like hard to come to terms with that. It, it feels painful. Or so, the opposite where I feel like it's not so much that I was handed ideas that were bad. It's that I was handed ideas that the people who gave it to me were holding it in a apologetic way because I feel like I'm still very much all the reasons that I became evangelical, all the things that drew me in are still very much a part of where I'm at. So I wonder if it's just more of like a, a personal movement or something. I don't know. Maybe it's just a, the, the, the makeup of our, uh, Enneagram numbers or, you know, wherever we are on that, like how, how we choose to approach that. Uh, because, you know, I was taught to love people and I, I have yeah. unconditionally. And that's what's all the things that evangelical evangelicalism gave me are the very tools that drove me away. And I think that that has to do with maybe more of my internal posture has always been evangelist as opposed to apologist, as much as I tried to hold on to being an apologist. Yeah. And and Jeff, the that loving people unconditionally is in many cases a hook it isn't really the teaching. It isn't the core. And and what happened, I think, for many of us is that that idea of unconditional love is what took root in us. And then when we came to realize in our fundamentalist, evangelical, sectarian world that that's not really what they're talking about. They're talking about a lot of other sh- and they're using this as a bait and switch tactic. And I think for for many of us, that may be the crux I was like, you know what? This love thing is okay with me, but it ain't really happening here. So I'm going to see if I can find it happening elsewhere. And and that prompted some movement out. Well, I think, I, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but that unconditional love ended. There wasn't an unconditional love. There was a, there was a right. promise of unconditional love. And then when I came out, that was the condition. That There was the line, right? Even though it was clothed with, we still love you, but we hate your sin. Mm-hmm. That That's not love, <laughs> right? That's not love. And so I think that even in, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, like in this baptism thing, it wasn't hopes that you'll join my church, hopes that you will tithe to my congregation or, you know, uh, it was, I want to honor where you are because I love you. And I know that um, that God loves you. Um, and and leave it there, right? Just leave it there. Yeah, that's that's cool. But um, I'm wondering, and this is going to sound like a crazy tangent, but Casey, I know you and I are both fans of Oranges and You Black. Yes. And so are. you know, there's that one season where there's the storyline of, and I can't remember the inmate's name, the character's name, but she's like, those are kosher meals. Those look really good. That's right. And that's she right. she wants the kosher meal too and then they're like you're not Jewish. You don't know anything about Judaism. And she's like, "Well, let me check it out. I'm going to meet with the rabbi." And she goes through this process and and then ends up like where there's this great episode where they've found a hole in the fence and she finds this pond and goes through this mikvah on her own. On it's like her a own. it's a yes. but but it was rooted in those conversations with the rabbi on this journey to get better prison food. But then in that pond, if you haven't seen the episode, watch the series just for that one episode because it is absolutely magnificent. And I think that's a great illustration of what you're talking about, Casey, is it? it's it's got elements that are part of established religion and faith, but then you break out and it's, it's a personal encounter with the divine that then sets you on a new path. Which which happens in that case, and I think those that witnessed it as viewers and followers of the show, it did something to us too, right? And I think that this is why this conversation conversation is so important for our listeners. Is I think it's a reinvitation for them to begin to figure out what's worth keeping, how they too can be evangelists, because I think a lot of times people get rooted in this idea that there's only one way to be, one way to do. And I think that if if we are able to to take some of the things that were meaningful, like unconditional love, and actually live them out and offer that space to people, I mean, uh, growing up evangelical and having like, I mean, you all experienced this, like you spent all of your extra time with your community, 
right? You went to movies together. You ate at each other's houses. Um, you had, you found a beloved community. And a lot of the things that I think we grieve when we, when we leave that is that sense of beloved community. Uh, but the way that I have found it is in, you know, I do friends, everything, friends, giving, friends, Christmas, friends, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that, that tradition of being to creating family, creating beloved community is something that I hold on to that sense of unconditional love, that accountability, right? I mean, my friends and I share deeply with each other because, because we need to look out for one another. So I guess what I'm saying is like taking, taking some of that stuff that was beautiful and rich and doing something new and beautiful with it and, and, and not being sad about it. Not being sad about can you clarify that, Casey? I'm As sorry. if you're missing something. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, absolutely. I, I think that the traditions, um, you know, they're not handed to us or they haven't been preserved over the span of time to be um, cyclical entirely where it's just, you know, we go through motions, go through motions, go through motions, go through motions. They're meant to carry us along a journey like an epic spiritual journey. And when they stop doing that for us, then we have to make them new. We don't have a choice. It's like either get stuck in the mud or you actually do something completely different and new with it. And I think Jesus, for those of us who do identify as Christians and who have picked Jesus as like our teacher, our guru, um, he was a great model of that. I, I, yeah, I think he was a great model of that, and I also think that it, it's a, a tradition—the tradition that that Jesus came from, right? So when I when I everything that I've studied and learned about ancient Judaism is that that was that was the way, the mode was to reinvent the tradition so that it was applicable to that current generation, right? Like the whole central focus when there was a gathering, when when rabbis discussed and talked, was to question. Right. And, and the, the posture of apology is I'm giving you this so that you have no questions. And that's, that's another thing that I think we miss is that questions disrupt and we don't want to be disrupt because disrupt is, is there's, there's not a piece to it. But what, what we're doing is we're, we're accepting a superficial piece, right? A, a comfort. That, that isn't real, that doesn't last because there's no, there's no dynamic, right? Like, so I, I think I'm, I'm going, going back to my old days as a, as a youth pastor, worship leader is that I hated it when someone, and I, this is why I really have a hard time just in church in general, especially more traditional churches is because there's no dynamic to the music of hymns, right? It's like the, like, here's the thing, but I want that build, right? Like I want that, I want that piano. I want the drums to kick in. I want like all the dynamics. I want to go up and down because there's, there's movement and freedom with that. Um, and I, yeah. So I think that, that it's, it's just Jesus, obviously it's Jesus and you know, we all believe in him and stuff, but I also think it's that the mode in which Jesus lived that tradition that somehow we lost with like a Western mentality to, Christianity that compartmentalizes and and there's this underlining this underlining thing that we're all searching for the one truth the one way like we've misconstrued the whole like one way of Jesus into this like one way to be in the world and that's crippled us in so many ways so Jeff the the one three doesn't work for you the one three the beat beat on one beat on three <laughs> the, the, the rhythm of the hymns. No, it does not. You, you need some two four in your life. I need some saying. two four. I need it. <laughs> I need some rhythm. I need to. I need to. I need to be at a rock concert. I know everyone says that like is a diminishing thing, but rock concerts are awesome and they're yeah, a lot they of fun. So you know, there's nothing That's where wrong the people with people are. That. That's right. That's right. That's where the people are. No one's buying That's a right. ticket to listen to some lousy ass hymn. You know. No, no. <laughs> No oh, I know. You know like these, they they have these, you know, beautiful churches with gorgeous pipe organs that cost way too much, and there's homeless people outside, and you've got twenty people that'll show up to hear that pipe organ concert, right? Um, and it's beautiful, you know. but it's yeah. like let's let's throw in some variety here, and I don't know. Yeah, and as it, it to me, it's such a symbol of colonialism. 
of occupation and and dominance because a lot of times when people came in to occupy land that belonged to other people they would actually cart in on a wagon or something a pipe organ and set it up as a way to say we're here we're immovable we're not going anywhere so, that's kind of how my heart feels when i step into situations like they've colonized my soul <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah and i Jeff, back to what you were saying, and Raj, I mean, I think this this totally fits. Um, Jesus comes from a tradition where where you were allowed to question and wonder and change the meaning of the story, right? We come from a tradition that created creeds that burn people at the stake for not believing them, you know? Yeah. Um, and so along with the organ came a document where you had to profess a faith that was not yours, and I think that we are we are in a space and in in a time where we have to begin to ask ourselves real questions about: Are we willing to carry the organ and creeds forward? <laughs> I hope not. I mean, is there a in the history of of the Jesus movement? Is there a a, a clear point where we went from the rabbinic midrash tradition to dogmatic orthodoxy? There isn't just one Jesus movement. That's what's remarkable about early Christianity. It's like early Christianities. Right. That's right. Yep. And like right from the beginning, right from the very beginning, it was already spreading around the world. And um, and people made it theirs. Right. But I would say and, in terms of like tradition, I would say it's probably the, the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, right? Where it became a primary, primarily Gentile Western... Mm-hmm. Greek mode of thought within the church because most of the the Judaism was spread throughout um, the empire. I mean, that was probably the biggest movement in terms of Christianity going from rooted in Judaism and Eastern thought into Western. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff that flowed through Rome is what we know in the United States as Christianity. Right. Well, I mean, how, but, for how many decades of the – not decades, centuries of the church were we still interpreting Jesus through a Greek lens and not a Jewish lens? Right. I feel like it wasn't until like Rudolf Boltmann in the early 1900s that we really paved the way for the Jesus seminar and how we look at Jesus today in terms of biblical scholarship. I mean, there's some great work that, that Will Gaffney does on white supremacy and how we – do biblical scholarship now that has only been deconstructed in the last 50 years, maybe. And that was letting into by a lot of other stuff. So how we've looked at Jesus through Western thought for most of, most of the theology that built our denominations and our churches, right? Like Martin Luther and John Calvin and all these, (laughs) it's, I don't know. Well, but like, you know, Bonnie was saying there is a, there is a Southern church and an Eastern church where those theologies and traditions did not flow through Rome. And, you know, they're still around today. Yeah, absolutely. There's, well, there, there's an Eastern, you know, the Eastern Orthodox tradition, which split from Rome, the Roman tradition, a long time ago. And a lot of the theology is quite different um, and continues to be different. So, the Gnostic I, Gospels. Yeah, which, yeah, it, which was considered heresy by the Roman Church. Yeah, and, and the Thomasines in India. Well, right. we should do an episode on Gnosticism because we yeah. totally should. I'm not necessarily in disagreement with that one, but you know, <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, absolutely. So then, my question is: Are we are we demonizing an apologetic approach to anything? Like, is it ever appropriate? Is there a time where we do need to? say this is it, build some walls and say, this has to be this way. Yeah, I had that same question. I think it's interesting that we've, we've, we're been, we've been talking about baptism. And um, even though we've talked about how it might be made new in some new form, um, it's still baptism. Yep. So I think, um, which comes, you know, from the Jewish tradition, the mikvah actually it's, it was remade in in a christian form from the jewish tradition so I, I you know i think it's hannah arendt who wonders about uh christianity and whether or not it can be in- institutionalized 
she, she thinks about it in relation to government and politics. And she says, really, in order for it to be Christianity, it has to always be outside of the institution. As soon as it becomes institutionalized or structured, uh, it's, it's no longer Christianity, at least not the Christianity of Jesus. But I don't think you can, you can't pass on a tradition without a structure. So I don't know. What do y'all think? Well, I, I, I hope we do an episode on pluralism one day because this ties into that idea. But that question, Jeff, there's, there's a phrase which I'd have to unpack in another place and time. But it, it's, the phrase is roots down, walls down. And a friend of mine who's an Episcopalian priest was sharing this that comes from a bishop. He's from the Church of England, is in the Bay Area now, and um, was talking about this idea that if you are rooted in your tradition, you can then let your walls down and be in full relationship with others because you have a distinct identity, a distinct rootedness in a tradition and faith practice that is yours, that is personal and communal, whereas others maybe in relationship, but without a sense of identity, and that doesn't particularly lead to anything very special. I mean, that's that's one line of thinking. So having some rootedness, I think, is critical to human flourishing, whether it be in particularly a religious construct, but I think as human beings, we have to have a place uh, that where we center ourselves. Have you ever thought about who you would be as a spiritual being without your um, evangelical fundamentalist roots? That's like a youth group game, right? Like, what would you be if you weren't a Christian? And everyone says a stripper or, a, you know, like, right? Because we've we've attached this certain morality to being a Christian. And uh, I, I think I'm at a place now where the more I think about it, I, I don't know if much would be different. Um, maybe the words would be different, but... There's still, you know, I, I don't, there's nothing in, I don't know, I, maybe my Christian upbringing gave me a place to express that, but maybe I just would have been an activist or in a nonprofit, a quote unquote, secular nonprofit organization and nothing else much would have changed. Cause the more I think about it, it's like, well, just because I don't believe in Jesus doesn't mean I want to go like on a murderous rampage or a, you know, a, a sexcapade or you know whatever, <laughs> You know, uh, that, that slippery slope mentality. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Well, I'd be Hindu. Hmm. You know, I probably wouldn't be, I, I, I maybe it wouldn't be that different in my outlook and, um, you know, moral compass, et cetera, but I, I wouldn't be Christian. Hmm. Casey, what would you be? Stripper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, many of the strippers I know love Jesus. Okay, so we can't we can't go there. Amen. Um, I I would probably find myself hanging out with Emerson, right? I would probably be a humanist, um, someone who um is deeply devoted to social justice, but is able to f- connect with the divine through the rising and setting of the sun. That's probably where I would end up. Don't you do that now, though? I didn't want to say that. No, but, but uh, I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I think you're very connected to to appreciating beauty in the natural world. And that's what I and the, I mean and and that's sort of one and the same for me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I think that as my faith has progressed over the last whatever uh, twelve years or something, that it's more it comes more and more to that place. My experience of God and Jesus are found in people and creation and less in institutions. Amen. Yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. right on the line with you. I'm very much a humanist and a materialist. Like, that's where I would yeah. land every time. I just happen to have Christian words to describe it. But that's right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah. And I don't think it has to be either or. No, 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 no not I don't at all. either. No. And so, but the, if you're asking me the question of where I would, where I would have ended up, I mean, that's where I, I mean, it's where I am now, I think, which just with language, just Jesus language, you know. I think if I didn't have that tradition that I grew up in, I would be completely lost. I would, I, I would just it, the the possibilities of what's out there and available would have probably overwhelmed me completely. 
and I would have found like nothing to, without something, and this is probably also my Enneagram number, without something to push against, I wouldn't have been able to form a spiritual identity at all. At so least you, that's, that's what I think. You need an arch nemesis. You need an apologist oh, to push I, against. Have, having known you for 30 some years, uh, you would have found something to push against. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's well, it's not just push against, though. It's sort of like, you know, here's, here's what I have to give you. Here's, here's an offering that you can take and do something with. And if I didn't have something like that to work with, I don't know. I think I, I, think I would be envious of people who did. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm going back to now that this might be like a totally like way off side, whatever. But, you know, Raj, you mentioned that you'd be Hindu, you know, w- I wonder if even if I didn't like have the rooted tradition in evangelical Christianity, Christianity would still be my, my tradition. Cause it's white. Like it's, it's, it's a white institution. The way that we look at it, even if I said, well, I wouldn't right. be a Christian. Yeah, I'd be an atheist. Right. Atheism, I think is a white institution because yep. it comes from academia, which, you know, been dominated West, by white people. Western academia, right? Western academia. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the the expression of academia and Christianity that we've all been exposed to are through our education and everything like that. And I wondered, you know, wh- how much of that informs, like, it's just there. It's just part of, like, there's no, any other option for me would be appropriation, right? Like, man, and now I got, like, all this stuff to think about. I don't. <laughs> well, you know, Gandhi says to be Indian is to be Hindu. It doesn't matter what your flavor is. I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I, I when I go back to India and spend time in, um, you know, the the church in the village where my dad was born and they currently live, my mom and dad, and where I was born nearby, that's some Hindu stuff, man. I mean, we're talking we're talking about Jesus. We're praying to Jesus. We use the Trinity as a construct, but it's it's very imbued with with Hindu sensibilities, and it's it's beautiful because Hindu Hindu tends to to have a you know that Will Rogers quote Hinduism never met a god it didn't like, so you've got Rama, Shiva, Durga, and Jesus. Well, like, the opposite is true for wall. us is that white Christians never met a god they didn't hate. So <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> that is so true. That's right. And and so they're, they're, it's it's really cool to to worship in India in just about any context. But you know you've got Hindu fundamentalists too who, um, you know are set on murder and cleansing and that kind of crap right so where where do we where do we end this what are our what are our closing thoughts where do we want to encourage people to we, go we've been like kind of kind of circling around the apologist thing right we, yeah so, we have. What, so what's let's, the evangelist part you know what's the good news people how does that make how do we make that manifest yeah i think it's uh it it to me it feels like there's something new emerging and maybe you know, maybe that has been the experience of everybody in time, but the way that we're, the way that spirit is moving right now, especially in the United States, it feels like something new is emerging. And so maybe now this is a time when the evangelists that are out there, now's the time for them to to get into their places and do their work. And perhaps on down the road, it's a time for the apologists who are out there to get in their places and do their work. So, yeah, call out to all evangelists. Spread the good news. And I would just qualify that a little bit by saying when I read scripture, every major movement into a new era is marked by judgment. And I think that when we talk about judgment the way that we do, we get to that American ideal. Well, don't you judge me? Like, who are you to judge? All that kind of stuff. But all judgment is from a biblical standpoint is a a revealing, right? Like a, like an uncovering look at this is what's here. Like the prophets didn't, the prophets weren't like fortune tellers. They were sociologists. They look at the landscape and they said, this is what I see. I'm, I'm seeing what's in front of me, what's here and now. Jesus wasn't a fortune teller. He was saying, this is the movement. This is the kingdom. We're here and now. And it's always marked by judgment, a revealing of what's already there and what's changing and what's evolving. And I think it's just embracing ultimate reality. Like, right, like, like not clinging on to the past and not holding on to this false sense of what our ideal of the future is, but being fully present and immersed here and being able to appreciate 
all that's bubbling up and what it has a potential to become. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that, I mean, you all have talked about the Enneagram tonight, so I think I should finally <laughs> jump in here with this, right? But I think that that is the root of, of, of how we confront ourselves. We can't, we can't continue to tell us, uh, tell ourselves the stories of our past because it leaves us stuck, right? And we can't, we can't move into the future only focused on the future without recognizing what is happening right in front of us. We have to be present in this moment for better or for worse, right? We have to consent to what is. And I think that in some ways, getting to the place of recognizing what is allows us to offer good news, but we have to, but we have to be able to confront what is. Yeah. I think for, for me, it's, um, I, I really like the notion, you know, we're wired for survival. We're worthy of love is great. I, but I know that's going to kind of going to ride that for a while and it'll always be part of sort of my, the history of my spiritual evolution. Um, it's, it, it's not something that's going to last into the future in perpetuity. I, I can already see that, but it's going to take me a long way. You know, so I, I'm not a surfer, never have been. I didn't swim. I still don't really know how to swim. But when I was back east, I, I when Bonnie lived near uh, the coast, I bought a boogie board and, you know, would go out. It's not very deep on the eastern shore of Maryland. And I remember the first wave that I caught, it was like, I don't know. I was transported into another realm of joy and exhilaration. And then everything else was like about catching another wave, you know, catching another wave just like that one. And I, I can't maybe I, I never have, you know, really caught one. And California is just too scary. The waves are really big and <laughs> steep and there's, uh, you know, and sharks. Cold. And it's so cold. But it's, you know, theologically, it's kind of it, there's some parallels for me. It's like. Every now and then a swell will come along and I get swept up in it. And it's like, whoa, I'm transported to this new realm of reality. And so, and, it, you know, fortunately, the waves keep churning. You know, the ocean is powerful and the waves are, they're always coming. You know, they're always there. So uh, I think as far as evangelism goes, it's, that's sort of what I'm I'm shouting from the mountaintops right now. Is yeah, I get it. You're wired for love. You do some crazy stuff to survive, but you're also worthy of love. Right. Those are good thoughts. This is a good conversation. I wish we were in the car with you next time. We all need to take a road trip and uh, <laughs> bring the recorder and get all this on tape. Uh, on tape, I just said tape. I just revealed my age. And <laughs> tape and listen to hymns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll let bring it. the organ. There. <laughs> a little Casio. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, add your voice to this particular conversation by commenting on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 137. And also in the show notes, you'll find relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways to follow, like, and contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 137. On the other side of the music, we're going to be talking about music, Christian music to be exact, and songs that we may feel a little embarrassed that we still like from our, our former way. Things that we will not apologize for that we will defend to the death um, and uh, hide behind our walls of insecurity so on the other side of the music uh, this is going to be fun I am a sucker for lists top 10 uh, like at the end of the year is my favorite time of year because it's all the like top this of 2018 and top this. So this is probably one of my favorite segments because it's a, it's a revealing segment. We're all saying these are top three of whatever category that we're looking into. And this one in particular is guilty pleasure songs, Christian songs that we used to listen to. Cause I'm sure at some point we were all heavily involved and maybe even burned our old secular CDs and one of those, yes, you know, burn. I did, man. I did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these are all, and then, you know, you're left with just the stuff that's left over. Um, so let's, let's just get into this. Okay. So we'll do it like we normally do it. We'll all give our three, we'll all give our one, and then we'll reveal our top or three, two, one, all that kind of stuff. So uh, you know, this is hard, but Casey, let's start with you because 
you're the one I'm most curious about. Blessed Be Your Name by Matt Redman. Ooh. I prefer the Blessed Be Your Name by Tree 63. Remember remember them? They yeah. were kind of like the yes. – they had that little sting sound to them a little bit. But yeah, Blessed Be Your Name. I, <laughs> do, do we go all give our number threes? We'll or? all give our number three. Yeah. So okay. any, any comments on Casey's number three? Anyone – no connection to that. When Not I picked really. when I picked up my guitar a few months ago, just because I, you know, playing, it was the first worship song I played on that guitar Ooh, was "Blessed Be Your Name." See? So. There you go. <laughs> All right, Raj, how about you? That's deep. All right, uh, my number third Christian song that I'm embarrassed that I still enjoy is "DC Ten by Audio Adrenaline. Love that song. Uh, if you're laying on the ground all messy and dead. <laughs> I love that song. It still jams. Nice. It's like basically, you go to heaven or you go to hell. Right. That I <laughs> I think our, our our number threes are on the same wavelength, so I can't wait to share that. Uh, uh, Bonnie, what about you? Um, I uh, my songs are like songs that we would sing like at camp or in co- congregational singing. Um, so my number three is I've been redeemed. Do you know that song? I've been redeemed oh, by man. the blood of the lamb. Yeah, I love that. Oh, one. oh yeah. Yes, I know. Yeah. I've been redeemed yeah. by the blood of you, the lamb. You can talk about me. I've been redeemed <laughs> by the blood of the lamb. Triggering for people. Singing career. <laughs> Right, you are. You, where's the where's the piano tie, man? We gotta you gotta Uh-oh. you gotta bust that out. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> All right, so my number three is "Breakfast" by the Newsboys. Oh, the Newsboys! Do you remember that song where like it's this really fun song about yeah. breakfast cereal, but the context is sure you're gonna go to hell. <laughs> right. Like it, it's the worst song in the world. Like make your when, choices right when you like take the juxtaposition of what they're talking about and how fun they're making it. It's horrible, but I still love it. I will still listen to oh, it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's just a catchy beat about people going to hell. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. So that's that's my number three. Casey, number two. Third day, God of Wonders. Ooh, mm. that's a good one. Third day. Uh, I, I honestly, like... look, I honestly still listen to the Third Day Offering album like all the time. Yeah. I, I, I'm I, there with, with you on that one for sure. I'm getting like physical reactions, <laughs> like flashback <laughs> reactions. Yep. There was, they, they, when they, the God of Wonders, they did it on that offering CD, right? That's and they right. did offerings yeah. too. And I remember the one thing that I wanted to hear the whole time was I wanted to hear Mac Powell and Jennifer Knapp sing on the same song. And I'm pretty sure on on one of those one of those CDs, it wasn't one of the third day CDs, but it was one of those compilation CDs that that uh, Mac Powell and, and Jennifer Knapp did a song together. Jennifer Knapp, former guest of the show. Um, thankfully, I can still enjoy her music and not feel. Yeah, she's Guilty. amazing. Absolutely. She's amazing. See, I don't feel any guilt listening to her stuff. No, no, no not at all. It's it's so good. And, right. uh, I'm still waiting for that introduction, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Jeff. We'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> all right, Raj, number two. Number two, uh, DC Talk. Remember them? Oh, I remember they DC did, Talk. They did a remake of Jesus is Just All Right. Yeah, I remember that song. Uh, it was good. It was good. You still listen to it? Yes. Okay. That's... I do. <laughs> All right, Bonnie, number two. It's funny because um, when, like, I've, part of the deconstruction was burning all the Christian CDs. <laughs> so we had to, like, buy some of them again or download them. Um, my number two is I Could Only Imagine by oh. Mercy. Oh, my God. That should be oh. on my list. That should totally. I sang that in church recently. Oh I just God. put that on repeat sometimes. Yeah, and just play yes, it again. me too. But I'm not embarrassed of listening to that one anymore. Well, I mean, did you I see am. the movie, then you might be but embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's Bonnie, just such a I pretty love song. that song. It's such a good song. Yeah, theological, I want it to be true. Yeah, it's theologically, theologically tragic, it, but it's right? so good. Yeah, interesting. Okay, all right. So, how many people burned their CDs? At some point, or broke them, or whatever. I, I ended up throwing mine yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. 
So what was the first secular CD you bought back? What was the first one you, you backslid to? Tim McGraw everywhere. Oh, no, Casey. Yes. <laughs> I'm so sad that you listened the to that. The first secular CD that I went back to? You better tell the truth about this, Raj. I'm, I'm try- I, it, I think it was a Red Hot Chili Peppers album. I think it was like, Van Halen. No, that's that's when I trash stuff. I had mostly Van Halen albums, but you know, then a couple of years later, um, didn't want to reconnect with them as badly as I wanted to reconnect with early Red Hot Chili Peppers. But yeah, no, I you know Van Halen rocks. <laughs> their their first Van Halen one, Van Halen two are still great albums. They hold up. Diver oh, yeah. Down, eh, not so much. Our ratings are dropping as we're speaking. <laughs> hey, 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 you don't even know those albums, do you? No, sir. Like, Running with the Devil. Google Running with the Devil and listen to that song. That's a great right. rock and roll it's song. It's a great song. Van Halen. Yeah. You can't go wrong with Van Halen. Yeah. Well, the later stuff is crap, but. Not Unless all of you're it, a feminist. Well, yeah. Running with the Devil's not an anti feminist song. Okay, well, I think we're supposed to. Are we staying on this? Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. We should we should get back on track. Uh, my number two is same I'm, artist as Casey. I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm defending Van Halen. <laughs> uh, third day, and it was a song from their second third album called "Believe." Like talk about apologetics, but it was like this mm. bluesy Southern rock song that I just played over and over <laughs> and like sang at the top of my lungs in my car. Up until last week, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it's, yeah. it's a good one. Good Third one. day, they I mean, they were my favorite when I. Third when day I was, is good. They were yeah. my favorite. Yeah, yeah. So this, the my final song is from my other favorite band. That when they, uh, when they got some airtime in the secular world, I was devastated, and that is Switchfoot. Oh, I know what song uh, you're gonna say. <laughs> Dare you to move? Yes. Uh, was is uh, still one of my most favorite songs. I still love Switchfoot. I'm not even guilty Me about too. it. Like I think Me they, too. They, yep. they they just came out with a new album and I just I like I like them still. It, it, my older son Julian who's 25 now, a friend of his bought a tic- couple of tickets to a concert to take him to to see Switchfoot who was opening up for In Excess. And In Excess was one of my favorite bands, you know, during their time. And, you know, Julian, he has never really been really Christian. So after the show, I was like, oh, how was the show? He's like, man, it was great. In Excess was fantastic. I was like, didn't you go to see Switchfoot? He goes, yeah, they sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey now, hey now. I love them. So my first concert ever was a Switchfoot concert. And they were opening for Supertones and uh, Reliant K. Uh, I and, love the um, OC Supertones. And I remember liking them the best because they, at that time, were the most religious. Like, they were the ones who were responsible mm. for the altar call, you know? And um, not knowing that it was all set up, right? I thought it was spirit-led. Um, so I was super devastated when, in high school, they came out with, you know, these these secular songs. Um and and uh, the local radio station had him on, and they asked him like, "Who are some influences in your life?" And they someone said Bob Marley. I don't even remember who. And I just remember being feeling so betrayed, you know. <laughs> and now if someone was like, "So who's one of your favorite artists?" I'd be like Bob Marley. So it's an interesting full circle. But you you mean Casey? Marketing and business meetings aren't spirit led. What are you talking about? No, they are you not. You know, the, the, <laughs> the whole strategy of the altar call and seeing right, people right, coming right. over. Those, yeah, those, yeah. Right. Brilliant. Nice. Raj, what's your number one? Oh, my God. I was hoping you'd skip me. I'm actually legit embarrassed to share this. Oh, this is going to be good. Because <laughs> it's one that if it comes on the radio and I'm alone, I will turn it up and sing. <laughs> Higher by Creed. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, Oh my God. I love that song. I'm with you on that. And, you know, some (laughs) might make the argument, well, they weren't Christian, but Scott Stapp. Oh, yes, they were. Come on. He had a solo Christian album. Um, But I will say this. My favorite band of all time right now, no legit, is a band called Ultra Bridge. And it's basically all the band members from Creed with the greatest rock singer like top 10 rock singers of all time in Miles Kennedy. 
they're really good. You should check them out. Okay. Ultra Bridge, amazing. And Miles Kennedy, he does some stuff with Slash that's really good. Anyway, I'm getting off track, but higher Creed. God, At least you didn't say yeah. Nickelback, but I guess that really wouldn't fit uh, in the Nickelback. <laughs> I never liked Nickelback. Please give me a little more credit. <laughs> All right, Bonnie, number one. Um, my number one is is a hymn. Um, the blood will never lose its power. Oh, I don't think I, I know I, that one. I, I, oh, what? It's, it's, what? Yeah, I've never even heard that song. Jesus shed. It's a hymn. It's like a yeah. Wait, I'm off key there. I don't know. Back, Back on Calvary. Oh my God! You don't know this song? I mean, it sounds like a hymn, but I, don't know. I feel like I feel like Raj is trying to get his uh, his singing career started. I've never sang in public before this podcast. <laughs> that is true. I thought you were like talk. a musician songwriter. Yeah, I was. I was sort of in that producer realm, kind of in the oh, shadows. Compo- composer, okay. producer. Yeah, yeah, sort of a director, producer, and played accompanied really great talent. Okay, I see. But I will sing that song whenever I am sad. Mm-hmm. Whenever I feel like I like the world is falling apart, and I will sing it loudly. But you're you're not embarrassed though. Mm, the blood will never lose its power. The blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed. Because I don't, I don't think did Jesus shed it died for, you, for me. So. No, he didn't die for you. He died because of you and your sins. Right. <laughs> that's Let much us better. Never forget. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Fortunately, I'm covered in the blood. <laughs> right. Oh my god. I, Carrie, I love good that movie. Song. How about you, Jeff? What's your number one? My number one, and I, I can't help but bob my head to this one every time I hear it. It's, uh. Shackles by Mary Mary. You remember that song? I don't know that one. Oh, if you heard it, you know it. If you heard it, you know it. Okay. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not as brave as you, Raj. Come on, dude. uh, Sing it. Give us us a bar. Give us a Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I'm looking at faces here. No one knows. Shackles, shackles. How does it go? (laughs) Exactly. Just like that. Shackles, shackles. come on. (laughs) (laughs) It's uh, take these shackles off my feet so I can praise him. Uh, Nope. Don't know, this, don't know that one. Oh, really? It's this R&B female group, kind of like the the Christian version of uh, Destiny's Child. No one? Mm. No one? Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. I'll have to look it up. Look it I up. Think you, I, guarantee- I think you should play it in the, in the podcast. We'll have I, to ask. It, for, yeah. yeah, we can't do that, unfortunately, because we're on no. Spotify. They're pretty, uh, well, in general. You get, but You get seven seconds, right? No, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a myth. I mean, technically, oh. if we like talked about it for 10 minutes, we could call it fair use, but the burden of proof is on us. So if someone sued us, we'd have to, but we'd That's have to fine. pay all the bills and everything. So and Google them. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. There's got to be someone who's listening right now that's very upset, like me, <laughs> that no one knows. There's thousands of by people Mary Mary. I think I do. I think I do know. It. I actually, going, now I'm starting to think uh, I do know it. I know Take a couple of people named Mary, but I've never heard so of Mary Mary. There you go. That's the Just one. Casey. Oh, Casey. Casey. Just want to praise him. That's the yep. one. Uh-oh. Yes, I do know it now. Okay, yep. good. Whew. I knew. I, wow. I thought for sure, <laughs> Casey. Muscle memory. How that. quickly my brain was able to uh, recall that. Right. Wow. It's that. That's one of my favorites, right there. I still listen to that, and uh, you know, because there wasn't. You know, that was one thing going into Christian realm. Like there was a lot of really good, like I don't know, white music, like rock and pop and stuff like that. But I never found a good replacement for like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg That's and right. like there isn't let's there is no there is not like all the good hip hop that I used to listen to that I broke and burnt I could never find never find a good replacement for DC Talk wasn't cutting it for you no not even close it, you know MC Hammer did a religious song all of his songs album. all of his el- yeah all of his albums had a, some sort of religious song to it until he yeah. Uh, tried to be all gangster with uh, what was it? Bumps and the something. Just, I don't know. It, it no, was, I mean, he, he, MC Hammer doesn't compare with the the other the others on your list. No, no, not at all. <laughs> like I like Nas and like Run DMC, like all this stuff. I just never found. Yeah. There was never anything good. The closest thing was this group called Gospel Gangsters. Does anyone remember them? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think that'll do it for us That's this week. What we should call ourselves. 
What? Call ourselves gospel gangsters. Yeah. Um, I don't, that might be. Have you seen our picture? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, it's good stuff. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, how can everyone find y'all, Casey? How can people find you on the interwebs? Yep, you can check out the queerly faithful dot com. Um, I'm also on Instagram as the queerly faithful pastor, or you can check me out on Twitter at Rev uh, Tenen or Facebook as Casey Tenen. Raj, how about you? Uh, Facebook.com backslash Rev Raj Rambob. Rev Raj Rambob. That's <laughs> what's that called? Where it's a bunch of R's in a row or a bunch Alliteration. of Alliteration. Alliteration, yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Bonnie, how about you? Um, you can find me at on Facebook as Bonnie Lang Rambob or at Parkside Community Church in Sacramento. Very nice. And as for me, you can follow me on all the socials at Jeff Minildi and listen on the second and fourth Thursday of every month to my other podcast, Divine Cinema, where we review movies of faith, good and bad. Uh, as for Ironicast, don't forget to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode. We're available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. And while you're there, if your platform allows it, leave us a rating and or review. We're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. And speaking of ratings and reviews, we had one recently from New Age Sensitive. I like that name. Uh, on Apple Podcasts. I listened to your episode on poverty. You guys really get what's going on out there. A real Christian is liberal and believes in sharing like you do. I love you and I love the podcast. Keep doing this. I beg you. So thank you, uh, New Age Sensitive. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, thank you thank very you. much. We appreciate it. That's a five-star rating from Apple Podcasts. So uh, nice. if you yes, are so inclined, give us your review and rating and let us know how much you love us and we will <laughs> we'll read it on the show uh so for this week i'm jeff i'm bonnie i'm casey this is raj thanks for joining the conversation 